0: That music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. I am Michael Graham with Inside Sources. With us, as always, Todd Shepard of the Delaware Valley Journal. And Todd, you are so lucky. The uh, Philadelphia suburbs are the place to be on the 4th of July. So I assume you've got your uh, nice, cold, chilled Sam Adams brewskis in the fridge and the ribs ready to go on the the, uh, griller.
1: I even uh, shoe shined my my leather flip flops.
0: So <laughs> I shine the buckles on my shoes. I'm going straight pilgrim. I'm going old. That school. Was, that's,
1: when you said buckles, I, I thought, wow.
0: <laughs> uh, but it is a great place. I mean, we're going to talk about patriotism a little bit on this uh, edition since the Fourth of July weekend is upon us. Uh, but before we talk about uh, patriotism and protests and also how some parents are looking at homeschools versus the traditional public schools, uh, there was an interesting report this week from the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office. It was interesting for its findings and also, Todd, as you reported, for the fact that it exists at all.
1: Right. Well, of course, when you think about grand juries, what you typically think of is the handing up of indictments. But, of course, in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, you can they can actually do these investigations and then come out with a report as opposed to an indictment. That's what happened with uh, Attorney General Shapiro. They did the the whole report on the fracking industry. But the the whole report phenomenon has been controversial in the state. In 2019, there was a task force. Uh, and there, the, it wasn't unanimous, but they came down pretty hard on the process. They said grand jury reports are created via a markedly one sided process. Uh, they lack the trustworthiness commonly ascribed to other court proceedings that are adversarial in nature. So that, that already gives you a, a kind of a, a feeling of, uh, the, the political nature of this report and how it's going to play out probably in the coming months.
0: In other words, if in a traditional prosecution, a prosecutor can, quote, indict a ham sandwich, as they say, when it comes to traditional crimes, then if you have a politically partisan AG and a grand jury and you want to go after a, uh, an industry or a political cause, say, oh, just randomly picking one here, Todd, the energy sector, that's a pretty easy ham sandwich to indict.
1: Yes. And I think the the sideline that goes with that is, look, in the in the past uh, three or four podcasts, we've talked about the political ambitions of some other people in the state. But I think everybody agrees that it's another poorly kept secret that A.G. Shapiro wants to run for governor. And so uh, you have to put ambition into that mix, too, because a lot of people are viewing the report through that lens.
0: What did the report claim to find?
1: Well, uh, not only just claim to find, first of all, a lot of the findings were they they said uh, that the investigative uh, powers of the Department of Environmental Protection weren't robust enough. The Department of Environmental Protection just blasted the report. They said this is nonsense. Uh, The Marcella Shale Coalition came out with a a seven page letter that they sent to the uh, General Assembly and they laid out year by year all of the additional regulations that have been added. Uh, So they, for example, um, fees, permitting fees have gone up in, in two or three of those years. And those permitting fees have allowed the Department of Environmental Protection to increase their oversight staff from about 60 to about 190. So they've tripled. Their oversight staff, so you can see why the the energy industry is pretty irate about this report. As apart from findings, they also issued recommendations. So, for example, they issued a recommendation that the the setback limits, So, in a lot of cases, you, you know, when you have a school, the the drilling site has to be set back 500 feet from the school. Uh, the they recommended a setback limit of 2,500 feet, which is basically half a mile. Wow. Yeah. And the the deal is, is when you start to tally up all of the locations that you have to put setback setback limits to hospitals, schools and, and all of these other places, once you draw those circles, you end up with just these, you know, 10 or 12 tiny little slivers across the state that you can actually drill. And so that's what the gas industry is is arguing, is that that limit would be a or that setback would be a de facto ban on the industry.
0: And America's dad, now America's creepy old guy in prison, Bill Cosby, made uh, the papers again. An interesting story from our own Hiram Reisner about uh, his case. What's up with that, Todd?
1: Well, Cosby, uh, of course, his attorneys feel they have right to appeal based on some of the way uh, some of the uh, evidence was presented and some of the testimony was taken in his original trial. Uh, As you mentioned, our reporter Hiram Reisner, an incredible tip of the hat to him because he talked to two of Cosby's victims, uh, one Valerie Valentino. Uh, she said, "Look, I, I think he has no conscience. He shows no remorse." She called him a monster and said he was the most prolific serial rapist of the 20th century. Wow. Um, Andrea Constant, um, you know, she said it, it's upsetting, it's sickening, actually, and it re-triggers, and I'm sure it does. Um, just reading the story, um, and look, you know, I've been a reporter for 15 plus years. I've talked to victims of a lot of different tragedies, uh, victims of a lot of different criminal acts. Uh, it's heartbreaking. And so as I read that story, it just it gave me a sickening feeling uh, to imagine what those women went through the first time and what it would be like for them to have to relive it again and and probably several more times in the upcoming years Is There will as he'll he'll definitely be in the news so many more times in the next two or three years.
0: It's important to note that he's only able to appeal a few of the rulings against him. So it's not the case that he's about to get a get out of jail free card. So he's going to be behind bars regardless. I guess the hope is this just keep chipping away at the convictions. And he's got the money to keep sending out his lawyers and his spokesperson, which just just kills me that there's a guy in prison for rape who has a spokesperson.
1: Yeah, I think your your initial idea, though, is, is mainly correct, is there are so many other charges that can't be contested uh, that it, it's no doubt that he will – he's not – there's no way he's going to be sprung and go back to living the life that Bill Cosby once lived. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And, of course, there are cases that are still pending in other jurisdictions, so um, – The rest of his life is is going to be prison and legal proceedings. And that's the way it should be. I agree.
0: And so uh, so that's the ugly news. The uh, the the more hopeful news, perhaps, is as we approach Fourth of July, the, uh, the conversation about patriotism and protests. And it is an interesting year for us to have the celebration of the founding of America at a time where there are people who are trying to literally pull down the statues of the founders and are declaring that America's real founding wasn't 1776 but it was in 1619 when the first african slaves uh, touched uh, northern north, north american s- soil and you wonder todd when you talk to people who are supporting the black lives matter movement are, are they going to celebrate the 4th of july or would they be sitting in their house with the shades down going why are people celebrating
1: Yeah, there are some, you know, spotty uh, and very small Black Lives Matter protests that I think will go on uh, across the holiday. But interestingly, I did have the chance to to get a question in to Montgomery County commissioners. Uh, I asked two of them, you know, are your thoughts about patriotism any different this holiday, especially because... There's this Gallup poll that came out that said, the feeling of patriotism is at an all time low, at least since Gallup has been measuring it since 2001. So for example, Commissioner Ken Lawrence Jr, uh, he's an African American uh, county counselor. He said, "I, I think people should certainly still be patriotic. And one of the things I've been proud of throughout this pandemic is how much people have rallied to help their neighbors. So of course there he's talking about the pandemic, not so much about the protests. But uh, his colleague, Dr. Valerie Arcush, who's chair of the board, she said, I'd be curious to see what those numbers look like here in Montgomery County, because she says my sense is just the opposite. So her feeling is that patriotism is really very strong in the county. And I'd imagine that if if she feels that way in Montgomery County, that other people feel that way in, in Chester and Delaware and Bucks.
0: And, as far as we know, no founding father statues have been toppled in the Delaware valley as far as, as we far know far as
1: we know yes, well, and uh, now that's a question that i've I've also posed to a couple of these county boards uh, I asked them what what statues are are in your under your control and mm. and if if someone wanted to legally remove or lawfully remove them what what would the process look like and you could see the sort of the the shock of their face that they hadn't <laughs> even really. They had no idea about what statues were in there under their jurisdiction, you might say. And then they said, well, the the process. Well, the first thing is just call us. And uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) wait, there's not a Department of Offensive Statue Removal.
1: Right. There's not. But um, and and of course, in a lot of cases that I guess that makes sense that they don't have that many under their control because. You know, the townships and so forth. they are just so many. They take up so much of the county space that it really comes down to more of a township level.
0: Well, all I got to say is a few days ago, I saw a video of the uh, famous elk statue in downtown Portland, Oregon being uh, burned and toppled so even your favorite wildlife creatures may not be safe from this current moment of protest so keep that in mind hey one more thing even though it's the you know the summertime really the kind of the peak going on with the fourth of july parents are looking ahead to the coming school year a lot of different guidance about how school is going to be conducted it's hard to see a way that you can do public school without a vaccine that some parents are going to accept. And you did some reporting, Todd, on how this has caused a surge in interest in homeschooling among the sorts of parents that you don't usually think of as homeschoolers.
1: Right. Well, everybody had that baptism by fire or that sink or swim moment, right? Back in March when schools were just closed. And oh, my goodness, now I have to I have to finish these last eight weeks for my kid here. Uh, and so now that all of these parents have that experience, maybe it doesn't look quite as daunting. Really, this is one of the funnest stories I've done in a long time. Uh, I talked to four people about uh, you know, their homeschooling experience. I talk, One of them uh, is an education policy analyst with the Commonwealth Foundation. And uh, I think the real theme that I came away with was uh, – if you've never done homeschooling and, and you think about it, it can seem almost insurmountable or impossibly large in your mind. But all of these parents said, look, once you get the hang of it, it actually it, it makes everything easier. Um, you The flexibility that you're allowed in in how to teach your kids is really incredible and it's liberating. Um, so and, and and above all that, you're never really on your own. Uh, The homeschooling communities that have built up to support one another, and of course, a lot of the people that I talked to for my story, I found them through their Facebook uh, groups. these groups, uh, they're not just there for support. They organize field trips. They organize uh, science fairs. They organize debate competitions. So it, it really is much more than just a mom and dad at home with, uh, you know, Bobby and Jane. Uh, it's its really a community, and it's far more robust than I think the, the average person can realize until they've really uh, taken some time to investigate it. And so the, the community is, is, is just that much more robust, I think, than anyone has ever imagined, uh, un- unless they've had the time to investigate it. So we're happy to welcome into the podcast Colleen Horonchik with the Commonwealth Foundation. A recent article from USA Today had a USA Today Ipsos poll that said one in five teachers say they are unlikely to go back to school if their classrooms reopen in the fall. But it's the second part of the poll that is also very interesting. It, this is a separate poll that says, with parents with at least one child in grades K through 12, that finds that six in ten of those parents say they would be likely to pursue at-home learning options instead of sending their children back to school this fall. Now, of course, those options could involve a cyber charter. It could involve a lot of different things, but obviously one of those big choices is just homeschooling, and so we're talking with Colleen Horonchik. She is a homeschooler and also an education policy analyst with the Commonwealth Foundation. Colleen, great to have you on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast.
2: Thanks. I'm happy to be here.
1: So give us your background in homeschooling.
2: Sure. So I've been homeschooling my kids for the last seven years. Um, I have four kids, and prior to that, some of them spent time in a local district school. We did um, a small Catholic school, and then we also cyber-schooled. But um, homeschooling is what we found that really worked for all four of them because we could individualize it, you know, so it met the needs of each of them.
1: Right. So one of the stories we did right after our launch in March uh, for Delaware Valley Journal was we talked to some cyber charter uh, principals and they said, yes, we saw this incredible surge in enrollments in February as news of the virus was building and then when things started to really get more thick in the first couple of weeks of March, it got, you know, the, the enrollments really started to roll in. Are, are you, uh, you know, being in this education policy world, but also just being in the homeschooling world, are you seeing a, a similar increase to what is referenced in this um, in this USA Today poll? I mean, just from an anecdotal point of view?
2: Absolutely. I've had lots of people reach out to me and I know other, other homeschoolers have as well. There's um, great interest, you know for the next year, certainly, because of all the rules that the schools look like they're going to have to put on, you know with social distancing and everything, that's certainly part of it. But I think also part of it is you know parents are seeing more what they can do at home and how much more efficient it can be, you know, having the kids learning at home. So I think it's twofold one is that they're experiencing it and they like what they experience. And the other is they're concerned about what the environment will be like when kids do return to
1: school. Right. It seems like uh, there are a lot of let's let's imagine this hypothetical. If if the the virus had hit later, uh, let's say in the middle of the summer, and there had never been the closure in the late part of spring, such that parents were going through the the elements of homeschooling essentially for those last eight weeks or so, I, I would imagine that the 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 interest would be far lower but having that experience and really starting to see um maybe what used to seem unimaginable or too difficult to them now all of a seems rather doable
2: right and essentially when you see like you know when the kids are in school if they're struggling with something in math the bell rings after 43 minutes and they have to leave regardless of whether they caught on or not whereas when you're at home you have this opportunity to keep going until they've mastered it or take a break if they needed a break. And, you know, I think that parents are, it's really eye opening to them to see what they can accomplish in a much smaller amount of time than happens in a typical school, and also how they can accelerate where needed or slow down where needed. And you know, so being able to experience that firsthand, I completely agree with you. I think that that's opened up people's eyes to the possibilities of homeschooling.
1: Well, not just uh, to their own abilities to do it, but expand on that idea a little bit of, of managing the day, because I know you you have a, a some personal experience with that, where um, it, I, I guess just give, give expand on that idea of, of being able to expand the curriculum on an as-needed basis and your own experience with that.
2: Well, my oldest daughter, she struggled in math when she was in school, and we spent so much time after school working on it, because you know, when you're in a class it's hard to keep stopping the teacher you, you feel awkward if nothing else and so you, you, you let some of your questions slide so we would you know do that at home but with homeschooling you know you don't have that so she can you know we, we have videos that we use for the math it's not me actually sitting there trying to teach it all to them I couldn't do that but you know, she just replays the videos and then when she gets stuck on something I can help her or you know, we could reach out to an expert in the field if need be in a local college or a student somewhere else. There's so many resources now. So it just, it, it just gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of, of dealing with that. But then on the flip side, if something's super easy, the kid's not sitting there for 43 minutes <laughs> wasting his or her time, you know, they can move on to, to something that's more challenging. So it, it helps you know, when you're struggling with something, homeschooling is good, but also when you're advanced with it, it's good because you don't have to to waste your time with stuff you already know.
1: I've been emailing with a a lady that runs the Montgomery County Homeschooling uh, Facebook Association. I I don't think they're really formally an association. It's just a a Facebook uh, group, but one of the things she told me was... uh, she said, you know, some of my early advice for, for people that are really thinking about taking this plunge is familiarize yourself with the law. Uh, since you're a policy analyst, what are some of those considerations? What are some of those things that people should examine if they're going to take this leap in, in the fall?
2: Right. And that's a, that's a great question because that, that can certainly trip you up if, if nothing else does. So to homeschool in Pennsylvania, you have to file an affidavit with the local school district telling them that you are going to do that. It has to be notarized and it, it has to be there by August 1st. I don't know if that will change you know, in all COVID. I don't, I don't think so. Last year they did change some of the regulations, but I don't think that that's going to, and there's a lot of websites that explain in detail what needs to be included with that com is one that I use a lot. I and found that too.
1: Links, yeah.
2: Yeah, and she links directly to the, the laws in question. so that's, I would say that's the easiest way to get the information that you need. Um, you know that, that's what I use dot but you know so then you, you file that and then along with that it kind of have to give a very basic overview of what you're going to cover that year. It does not have to be specific just, you know, following the, you know, the legal guidelines. And then you just go ahead and do it. At the end of the year, you have an evaluation and there's lots of resources that can help you find an evaluator. Um, You know, there's local homeschool groups spread all across the state. And, you know, a lot of times they arrange for evaluators too. So it's it's very doable. Pennsylvania is considered one with high regulations, but I quite frankly have not found it difficult at all to follow them.
1: You and I have already spoken before as I was beginning the first part of my efforts to write this story about homeschooling. So uh, you and I have gone over this question before, but w- when I considered homeschooling before or the way it, it, I thought about it was it seemed to me like a 100% in or out option, which is to say you sort of committed to doing it for life. Or you just didn't do it at all, um, other than obviously helping the kids with the homework, but I was really fascinated by you know your experience and and you told me that uh, you know uh, you know a friend that uh, oscillates on a year by year basis, and you've even uh, sort of used homeschooling in, in an eclectic mix. Talk about how someone can do that or, or talk about how you can put this myriad of options to use.
2: Right, and that's one of the lovely things about homeschooling today is we have so many options. So the friend you mentioned, she her kids go every other year once they're in the, the local public school, and then the next year they homeschool, and that way she gets what she sees as the benefits of you know, being involved in the local school community. You know Her kids have friends through that, and then also being involved in the local homeschooling community, and her, friends, her kids have friends that way, and it's, you know, it's kind of a different mix of people. Gives her, you know, them, you know, very diverse experience in terms of you know, their educational practices, the friends that they meet, the activities that they join. That works for them. Now, I've never known anybody else that does it quite that <laughs> extreme. Right. Um, but a lot of people will move in and out, you know, a cyber school. I have a friend who has eight kids. She's homeschooled them all. She was one of the pioneers, but her last two are in high school and they're starting cyber school because, you know, let's face it, she's probably tired. <laughs> <laughs> But also, it's just, you know, they, they wanted that little extra structure, you know, to their day. And you can do the structure through, you know, any sort of homeschooling. You can buy whatever curriculum you want and everything. But, you know, they just, were, you know, decided that this was the right approach for them. And then, you know, I have taken, as you say, a very eclectic approach where we've done dual enrollment at Grove City College where we live. We've done um, classes, the hybrid homeschooling type of approach through the local Christian academy where they offer classes for homeschoolers that you can do on an a la carte basis. Some of our friends, the kids take classes at the local public school, um, you know, and then of course there's all the online resources you could ever dream of.
1: Right, and and, and let's talk about that for, too for a second, because not just the online resources, but again, as I've been doing my research for this story, I've been in touch with these county Facebook groups, but also the community is It's not just there for support, uh, it's there for actual learning help. I mean, field trips and other things. Describe how the community of homeschoolers comes together for all kinds of other learning options.
2: It's amazing. It depends on where you live, but where we live, there's, there's co ops, there are sports leagues. My son plays basketball. And the nice thing about homeschool sports is it's not all or nothing. It's, you know, he's able to play on that team, they have fun, but they're not trying to win. You know, trophies are just trying to exercise and enjoy all the benefits of sports. But he also does speech debate. So sometimes he would miss basketball practice, but, you know, the coach didn't penalize him for it. So it's just it's, it's, so much about it is a much more natural rhythm of life. You know, once you're out of school, you're never in a situation where you're only with people your own age. You're never in a situation where bells rule your day. So many things about our current model of school are very unnatural. You know, they're based on the factory model. With homeschooling, you get to base your education on the way you actually live your life. You know, their classes there are mixed ages, which is tremendously beneficial. You wouldn't even believe it until you see it. But you've got, you know, when younger kids are with older kids, the older kids take on a leadership role because, you know, it, and it just happens naturally. And the younger kids tend to look up to them and then they strive to be that type of leader. And it's just, it's, it's such a different environment that, um, you know, it's, it just has benefits well beyond the educational benefits and the homeschool communities, all the ones that I've been involved in, you know, they just have that same vibe.
1: Right. Before we go here, give us your last, you know, your, your best two or three other pieces of advice. I mean, obviously, we've talked about the legal aspect, but your best two or three pieces of advice to that parent that might be listening to this podcast and is weighing this decision for their family.
2: say don't be afraid of it you're not locked in if you decide to do it and it doesn't work for you you can change you know there's no penalty to it but also realize that normal homeschooling is different than what we're currently living through like even though we call it homeschooling we kind of joke that we do never at homeschooling because of all the activities that are available so it's not like you're going to be trapped in your house all day with every possible outlet closed to you you know it's. There there are activities using kids trips to museums. You could do historical field trips. You can do there's there's different science groups that pop up. You know, some of the museums offer classes for homeschoolers. There's just there's more resources than you can ever even begin to imagine. And so the support is there. If you if you want to try it, give it a try. And if it doesn't work out then, you know, what what's the worst thing that happened? You spend some extra time with your
1: kids. I think it's great advice. Colleen, thanks so much. Uh, All of that insight, I think, is just going to be uh, super valuable to anyone that is able to catch this podcast. And we're really grateful to have not only your policy expertise, but your, your, your firsthand experience as well. Thanks very much and have a happy fourth.
2: Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me on.
0: Great job as always, Todd. I don't want to keep you away from the beer and brats one more second. Have a terrific Fourth of July, and we will uh, talk again next week right here on Delaware Valley Journal on the air. Please remind everyone how they can find us on the various interwebs.
1: Facebook, just go to your search tool, look up Delaware Valley Journal on Twitter at DV underscore journal. If you want to email me, Todd, at insidesources.com.
0: And there's a Delaware Valley Journal website, of course, that everyone needs to check. out. Are we on TikTok? We're not on TikTok, right?
1: <laughs> Are we uh, we'll, Hey, the 4th of July is going to be a TikTok <laughs> specialty for Delaware Valley Journal.
0: Thanks so much, Todd Shepard. On behalf of Delaware Valley Journal, I am Michael Graham.